Amen. Yeah. You've just read Matthew chapter 1. Uh, the birth of Jesus. But not just his birth, his genealogy. I mean, how about that? Ancestry.com, right? I know there were a lot of names that were unfamiliar, but every name is important. You were just reading the family lineage of Jesus Christ. And if you were to go name by name, um, there's a story that is part of the larger story, just as your story is part of the larger story. Uh, there were names in that lineage, uh, names like Rahab. Rahab was a woman who was not part of uh, the Jewish community. She was not part of the nation of Israel. Uh, she lived in Jericho, but she had faith in God. And when Jericho was destroyed, she was not. She, her parents, her relatives were all rescued, and they became part of uh, the nation of Israel, even though she was not part by natural birth. She married a man, and um, Rahab and uh, Salmon gave birth to Boaz. And it's amazing because Rahab is now forever part of the lineage of Christ. She got brought into something that she was originally not a part of. That's good news. Boaz married Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not part of the people of God, but she had married um, Naomi's son. Uh, Naomi had two sons. And very painful moment in this woman's life. Her husband died. Both of her sons who were married died. She was left with two uh, daughters by marriage. Um, one is Ruth. The other was Orpah. And she looked at them and said, listen, I need to go back home. Um, my husband's dead. My sons, your husbands are dead. I got nothing. She changed her name to Mara, which means bitter, because that was a description of where she was in life. You know, life has, is, is not easy. Uh, there, are, there are many pain points, sorrow, suffering. That's part of it, right? But God restored this woman, um, and she tried to send them away. And Orpah said, all right, Mama, I hear you. And she went back home. But uh, Ruth said, please stop trying to make me leave you. Please don't send me back home. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And where you die, I will die. After that, Naomi said, all right, girl. Come on. But that choice to follow her mother-in-law wasn't just a choice to follow her mother-in-law. It was a choice to follow God. And um, so then Ruth uh, actually, I think I mixed the names up. Ruth, yeah, so Ruth actually marries Boaz. So you got Rahab, and then a generation later, she marries Boaz. And it's a whole story about kinsman redeemer. Uh, but then the line goes on. They have a son, Obed, and Obed has Jesse, and Jesse has David. So Ruth ends up being a relative uh, uh, of, of David, the king. And it comes all the way down to uh, where they, they go into exile, and then out of exile, and then you have Mary. So here you have the lineage uh, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. That's important to recognize. Um, 
I can only go about five generations back in my line. So to look at that, to be able to go back is extraordinary. I have a friend who can go all the way back. He can trace his lineage to, um, I can't remember what century it was in Europe, but I stood watching it framed on his wall and I thought, God, that's amazing. There's good news though. The Bible says, um, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. That's a good thing, isn't it? So if, even if you weren't born in the nation of Israel, um, if you are born anew in Christ, you're grafted in. So that's really good. So that was great to read that, wasn't it? Um, those are the parts in the Bible where I go, okay, let me turn that page and get to. But I heard my pastor say one time, he said, listen, you want your name to be written in God's book, the book of life, and you don't want them to flip the page. You want them to read your name. <laughs> I want it. Don't turn the page too quick. Martha Jones, Samuel Jones. Wait, did you get to Donnell Jones? Uh, let's see here. Is that with two ends? Don't play with me. I want my name to be there, right? So this whole thing about God being with us, and, um, you know, it's the time of year that we celebrate uh, the birth of Christ. It's actually something to be celebrated all the time. His coming uh, to be with us. And I think there's something so significant. I think the first thing that is amazing in Matthew chapter 1 are the first words that say, this is the genealogy of Jesus. The reason why that's so amazing is because God uh, is the creator of all things. So Hebrews chapter 7, 3, which is going to appear on the screen, um, makes this really extraordinary. It says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. That's a declaration about God, about his deity, that he is without father or mother, without beginning or end. So the fact that Jesus has a genealogy is extraordinary. God doesn't have a beginning or an end. So for him to have a genealogy is testimony of the truth that we know in our hearts and believe from reading the Bible that God became like us. God with us is not just him walking among us. God with us is him becoming one of us, taking on flesh and blood. That is unfathomable for us. It is, it is a mystery that no matter how well explained does not remove all the mystery surrounding his birth. How he was born fully God and fully man in one. He did not cease to be God nor cease to be man. He was fully God and fully man in one. I was speaking with one of my daughters recently and we were talking a little bit about Christ being at the center and how he draws all of humanity to himself and at the center uh, where he is, we have to be recentered in order to come to him at the center because sometimes we see ourselves at the center. We, we look at life from the perspective of our dreams and our vision and our hopes and all these things. But, you know, on GPS, when you can slide your finger on your phone and there's a little button that says recenter, and then it brings you right back. I think God's at the center and we have to be recentered to the reality that he's at the center, we're not. And so in 
this moment we were talking about the pathways that people come to Christ, that they, he draws them. You know, some people grew up atheists, but there's a moment where something significant happens and they, they recognize God and they receive God. Um, anybody here like that? Perhaps. I see some nodding. There are other people who grew up and they grew up in a, a religious context and they practiced um, that, that belief system um, most of their lives, but they realized still they didn't have relationship with God. And so the light comes on and they're drawn to Christ relationally. Um, and then you have um, people who, you know, my daughter's telling me, it's like, it's, it's different because I was born to pastors. So I grew up in a home where a relationship with God was always emphasized. So for me to come to Christ is also a thing, Dad, and she really helped me understand, because if you've grown in it and it's all you've known, then when does it become your own? And when it does become your own and you begin to give expression to it and you come to your parents with some insight that God's given you, but it's like, but how can it ever be new for you guys? Because you've, you've had that thing a thousand times over in your life. And so finally, so she was teaching me and I was learning. She said, that's, you know, you're helping me understand the reality of how you've grown up and expectations. And there is an expectation, I believe, in our culture today that as we pursue God, we do so in the context of the culture in which we were raised. Let me explain. Whatever's going on in the environment in which we are born, when we're born into Christ, there has to be a removing of the veneer of the, of the things that have shaped us in order to get to not just superficial, but the real truth of God that helps us live out truth the way the person of truth, Jesus, really would live in our day and age. In other words, there are things we accept that truth goes, that's not acceptable. That is not the practice of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? So just to go easy and light, I don't want to cause anybody pain because we could run through a whole bunch of issues. But for example, I was born in America. There's a, there's a lot that comes with being born in America. Um, we have something called the Constitution of the United States of America. And one of the things that the Constitution affords us is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's say it again. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I am not in any way wanting to take something away from the Constitution. I live under its authority. It is what is used to govern a nation, govern a people. Now, one of our early presidents said, there's no law that can govern people whose hearts are not right. That's a paraphrase, Adams. But what I recognize is growing up in a culture that in our books and in our movies and in our homes that celebrates life, liberty, and the... When pursuing God doesn't end in happiness there becomes at that moment an examination of your heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of God come into conflict, now you're starting to believe. 
Is this making sense? The, the, the American dream is a dream that we have been told about. But what happens when God's dream is bigger than the American dream? And what happens when God's dream doesn't seem to align with the American dream? Not saying anything about the American dream, please. I'm just saying if God's dream is greater than any other dream, then somewhere there has to be an alignment in us to God's heart, God's will, God's dream that, that supersedes or surpasses any other dream. So there are certain dreams that I might have in my heart that might not be his, but are mine. So how I read the scripture, he gives you the desires of your heart. Do you read that understanding, whatever I desire in my heart, he gives me? Or that the desires I ought to have in my heart, he gives me? It shapes how you read the book. If you read it through the lens of the American dream, you... you you kind of turn to all the pages about happiness and see things that happen that are problematic and trouble. And you go, Jesus, why would you say in the world you're going to have trouble? Who wants trouble? Silence on that. No amen. So how do we live? And this conversation with my daughter is so helpful. It's still happening. I'm still in conversation. I'm still learning. This is just Sunday morning to kind of segue to him coming to be with us and how his being with us does not remove things that are true in the world in which we live that don't minimize God's presence, his kingdom, but sometimes are inexplicable to our own thinking, but it's because our thinking is not like his. Things like pain, Things like suffering, things like sorrow. If anybody's experienced any of that in any form, in any way, just lift your hand for a moment. So we're no stranger to that. Yet when it happens, we ask invariably, God, where were you? God, why? God, because we're thinking through something that we learned rather than has been put in our hearts to go, I get this. This is God so amazing that he doesn't have to remove everything in my life that is distasteful, but he gives me grace to live through it and actually become more than I would be without that. Now, I am speaking about things that I need to practice myself better because I don't always respond well when bad things happen. People say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Jesus was good and bad things happened to him. And we're his followers. And he said, if you follow me, if they rejected me, they're going to what? So we know it here, yet when it happens to us, we go, what on earth? Because we read it like poetry rather than practice. You know. Love the Lord your God. Can I get a double pump latte, please? But it's one, it's another thing to put it into practice. It's painful, isn't it? Yeah. All right, I need to move on. Some of you are like, <gasps> let me breathe. <laughs> I got good news. This genealogy of Christ. So when you look at it, um, it says this is the genealogy of Christ. And it speaks of him being a son. I, I guess the first thing to say here is that 
It's wonderful that we serve the Lord. But serving is not the starting point. Family is. He, he has a, a family line, a lineage, genealogy. And with Rahab and Ruth and people with all kinds of backgrounds, some were this and some were that, yet he, 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 he seeds himself right in there from the beginning of it and he shows up in the middle of it and it keeps running. I want to go back to God being with us even in the beginning. Um, I've said this many times. I hope that in eternity we get to not necessarily relive, but see what we only have read about. Right? People make movies about things. I just believe because God can do anything, he could actually take all of us right now and historically move us back to the Garden of Eden and let us sit in our chairs, but the room and everything changes around. What if right now this room turned into the Garden of Eden? Wouldn't that be pretty exciting? You'd be like, oh my God, tell me that's not a banana. They look nothing like that in 2018, right? I want that experience. This is my dream. Don't know if I'll get it or not. But I'd want to go back to the moment where the first man and the first woman met for the first time, and we all take notes on how to do marriage. <laughs> Wouldn't you want that? Because Adam was asleep. He removed from the side of him what we believe may have been a rib. He fashioned a woman. Um, and then it says he brought the woman to the man, which means at some point the first man and the first woman were not together, could not have been together if God had to bring her to him. At least that's the sense. So that means the woman had a relationship with God and the man had a relationship with God before they had a relationship with each other. That's a good idea. I just think we can learn a lot from the first one. And because it's all about family and lineage and because the first woman looked at God as father, she was watching and, and, and she was fine. She wasn't even thinking she was missing anything. Can I use this word? She wasn't pressed. <laughs> She'd have stayed with her dad forever. And if he had never said, you know, I made a man, he, she was like, what's a man? And do I really need one? I, I'm just saying, something in her relationship with her father was so satisfying that she didn't feel like she was incomplete. She didn't think she was missing anything. And she wasn't praying for the internet or social media so she could kind of flip through the pages and <laughs> nothing wrong with going online and meeting somebody. E-harmony, all that, whatever. But it was, it was just good. She was good. And when God was right in, in the course of time, we don't know how much time spent, but she brought him to the man. And when the man saw her, he already knew God had told him it's not good for you to be alone. Got something for you. Named all the animals. I don't know if dog was man's best friend or not. I just know when she stepped up, homeboy was like, that's good, God. <laughs> this is your finest yet. <laughs> roof, roof. Go, go away, go away, go away. <laughs> I'll walk you later. <laughs> what? What is your name? I don't have one. What you want to call me? Oh, I want to call you all the time. That's what I want to do. I don't know. 
that's why I want to go, because I'm making this up. I just want to go myself and see it, how it really happened. I'm left to my imagination. But he said, woo, man. You know, I told this joke 20 years ago. It's too old now. Woo, man. I mean, it's, it's so corny. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Why would she trust a man she never met? Because her relationship with her father, like, you've never done anything that was not good for me. And so if you're giving me to him, it's all good. I don't have to know everything about him. We'll get to know, we'll get to know each other through the course of this covenant called marriage. We don't have to live together first. Let's just get married. Married at first sight, the original one. <laughs> not the one on TV. Now, I get why we don't get married at first sight anymore. Because something happened in the garden. Everything got turned upside down. Do you know it says the Bible said that the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame? Anybody ever felt shame? What would existence be to never have known shame? Never have known guilt? Never have known fear? Never have known anxiety? Isn't it amazing that there's nothing I can mention that would be unfamiliar to you because we all know it? You know, the man never once accused his wife. She never accused him. I just, I don't know. I've been married 27 years and we get through the day really well, but something invariably is going to be said or done at some point, right? And you kind of go, you have to go, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I don't know if they ever had to apologize. I don't know. Or if, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know the food was amazing. They were vegans. <laughs> we're so late. We're just copycats. Like, we come up like this is a new thing. And, and, and I think heaven just goes, they are so funny. They are so funny. So anyway, um, the first command, the words of the first command, can I say them to you? Please hear it. Embrace it. Here's what God said when he commanded the man and the woman. You are free. Let that wash over you. You are free. That, that, that has to wash over us because the culture in which I grew up, part of my reticence, part of my resistance, part of my not wanting to really have relationship with God was that coming to him in my mind meant that I wasn't free. It meant I couldn't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't. It's a list of can't do's and so you feel like I'm taking a vow to just be And, and that is the wrong way to think about the first command. The first command is, you're free. 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 When Christ died, it was to what? Set us free. He will not require you to uh, be subject to him in this period of your life without you willingly. That's why it's love. You're free to choose. And you're also free to reject him. You're free. 
Now, you're you freedom of choice, but as I say, you don't have freedom of the consequences. But we're free. Isn't that amazing? He said, only do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Ah, there it is. You can't do that. No, 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 no. Don't think of it as a can't do. Think of it as in boundaries, protection, not restriction, but protection. It's a good thing for a parent to protect their child. And if your life has no boundaries, you can't ever be satisfied. You'll never eat enough. The Bible says the eye is not satisfied with seeing. The ear is not satisfied with hearing. Boundaries allow you to experience satisfaction. If marriage has a boundary, one man, one woman. If you live in the boundaries, it's safety, it's protection. When you go out of bounds, all hell breaks loose. Boundaries are good things. Lord, change our hearts to embrace boundaries. David said, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Athletes on the football field or basketball or soccer or anything, you don't hear them in the game going, oh God, why is that line there? Can't stand these lines. They actually think of themselves as being free. You'll watch a game today or you watch one last week, NBA, NFL, anything, college, doesn't matter. But they do their best work inside the lines, don't they? Remember? It's kind of like. Right. <laughs> and nobody's going, oh, why does he have lines? <laughs> ah, too bad about the lines. The ones who love the lines have learned to exercise the fullness of their freedom in it. We're so busy wondering why the lines are there, we miss all the freedom we have. You're free. And then here comes the devil in the form of a serpent, tempting. What has God said? Did God say not to eat from any of the trees? Notice the devil always uses words. It's not a pitchfork or horns. It's words that come into your heart and mind. Words that are intended to tempt you to save your life rather than give it for his. Words that are tempted to cause you to swell in pride in your thinking, unbelief in your heart, disobedience in your will. That's what sin does. It, it, it. And... And you know what sin does? It actually separates us from God. And it also separates us from one another. That's why it's so harmful. Uh, one of the effects of sin, J. Rodman Williams, a theologian, uh, you can read his book called The Renewal of Theology. He has a whole chapter dedicated to sin and a whole chapter dedicated to the effects of sin. One of the effects of sin, the first one he mentions, is estrangement. What you see in the Bible, and this is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And I want to put that on the screen and read that to you. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? We probably won't get much further than this today, and this is only the beginning. So we're going to stay on this for the next three weeks. But let's just talk about this for a moment. That moment right there, probably one of the best moments in Genesis. Not their hiding, but God seeking. 
when they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it says their eyes were open. They realized that they were naked. They hid. They sewed together leaves as a covering for themselves. Now, here's what's really significant. Before all this happened, it says they were naked and felt no shame. They were always without garments, but they didn't feel naked. Because the way we were created in His image and likeness, there's something of the glory of God that so covered us that we were never naked. It's a strange thing to see clothes on animals. We go, that is so, that's just, I mean, dogs will put little things on them, but, but if you went to the zoo and the tiger was wearing a skirt, you'd be like, really? And it's so common for us to wear clothes now, but it started right then when they covered themselves. Listen, they not only tried to cover themselves as in hide from God, but they were also estranged, not just from God, but from one another. They couldn't even look on each other's nakedness or each other's shame. And that's where now everything that we know so common in our culture, like the second... Uh, Secondhand smoke, it's the air we breathe, it's, it's the blaming, it's the accusation, it's all these things that happen that are in our hearts, whether we express them or not, we think them. And they hide. Now here's why I, I'm so glad about God being with us. Because when they who had it, like no one had it better, you got a garden that you live in, not one in your backyard. The garden is where you live. You're just going for a walk together, just picking fruit and like, you want some? And in that moment, they are utterly undone. And for the first time in their existence, they hide from the one in whose likeness they were made. And God comes not running, not screaming, not yelling. He comes walking, and he comes walking not in judgment. He comes walking not in pity. He comes walking in love like a father saying, where are you? The moment in the garden, chaos, disorder, everything that we know of the world that is turned upside down started right there in the garden. And here comes God as the father saying, where are you? He was coming to see how they were doing. He wanted to check in on them. And when they stepped out from behind the tree and he saw the, the leaves that they had fixed together to cover themselves, he didn't laugh at them. He didn't say, oh, look at you. He didn't go, I knew it. I knew you were going to blow it. Can I help you? What kind of creator comes in love and doesn't say or even think, I knew it. I told you so. Have you ever been disappointed in someone and you didn't want to see them? Raise your hand. Has it ever happened more than once? Could you imagine God walking in love? Nothing able to keep him from coming after us. Disappointment, offense. There's nothing, our own pride. He still came saying, where are you? And he knew that our attempt to cover ourselves wouldn't last. 
So he said, here, let me, let me get rid of that. Your human effort to cover yourself. And they knew what they had lost. And the first animal skins were made. The shedding of blood, which was a testimony of not the blood of an animal, but the blood of his son that would be shed in future generations. Right there in the chaos, right there in the mess, right there in the situation that you're in, comes God to cover, to cleanse. He doesn't wait for us to get our act right because he knows we can't. And here's what I love. He speaks to the man and says, because you did this, there are some consequences. Both of you have to come out the garden now. I know you were working the garden and it was pleasant and and peaceful, but now you're going to work the land where you came from and it's going to be painful. Work is toilsome, is it not? How many have a job? And it may be even a job you love, but it's still toilsome, is it not? It's laborsome. It, It was not that way for him. And then he looked at the woman and said, because you did this, you're going to experience um, pain and childbirthing. Women, I'm sorry. That's where it comes from. And I don't know if it's just pain physically and birthing, but the whole process of getting them to adulthood is... (laughs) You be thinking back to the nine months, I I feel like I'm still carrying you. And all the mama said... Your, your babies, go to sleep. Eat vegetables. Come on now. How many times? Do I have to t- it wasn't like that. I bet kids were just, would have been just obedient. Yes, mommy. Anything else you want me to do for you? Do you want me to clean up the garden? Daddy's been working. I'll do it today. If my, I don't know how it would have been. But without the fault. We just don't know. We just know how it is. And then they're put out the garden. But God mercifully don't miss see i just want you to know that in your pain in your suffering in your sorrow even though you want to break from it we all do and don't want it to happen ever god is speaking at that moment but we have to hear him because he speaks to the servant and he says in genesis 3:15 i think we have this on the screen this is so powerful in genesis 3:15 it says This is what God says to the serpent. And I will put enmity, which is not a good thing, between you and the woman. This is is what God is saying he's going to do between the serpent, Satan, and between the woman. He didn't say it to both man and woman. He said it to her, but there's a reason. He says, put between you and the woman, but not just between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. But there's more. He. Who's he? Her offspring will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, I venture to say that when Eve heard these words, she wasn't thinking Jesus. This needs to help us how we hear and read and study and walk with God. Have you ever had something happen in your life and you were just, I call it the violation of your expectation. You didn't expect that to happen, and you turn to God and go, why? Yes? No? How many has happened repeatedly? It's just what dream are you running? God's dream, the American dream, whatever dream. You know the dream they lost? They lost the, the Garden of Eden dream. I bet things happen like, I wish we could just get back to Eden. You don't think they had days like, man, I miss it. My man was out there working. Oh, God, I miss Eden. I flunked out of college. I lost a full tuition scholarship. Miraculously, 50% of it was reinstated. Long story short. 
but I had to work in order to pay for the other 50%. Don't you know, I was thinking to myself, oh my God, if I knew this, I would have. You understand? When you're working for the same thing that you didn't have to work as hard for, it's painful. So in this moment, they have kids. Now, it was painful for Eve to birth Cain and Abel and any other children they had. But I think they rejoiced. I think so because when every time a baby's born, we all, oh, look at that baby. I mean, mom was like, oh, oh, looking at the man. Oh, oh. You've been in the, if you've been in that room, right, you know what I'm talking about. Any men been in that room where you can do no right? Have you ever been at the bedside where you can do no right? Any, raise your hand, man. Don't leave me alone if you've been there. My wife had a oxygen mask on. And she, she took it off. She said, don't let me stop breathing. <laughs> now, to her credit, she was on Stadol or Demerol or something. They said it would take the edge off. She said, it didn't take the edge off. It took me over the edge. <laughs> she started seeing stuff that wasn't in the room. Cartoon characters. She's like, are there cartoon characters at the foot of the bed? I said, if you want them to be, there are. <laughs> Which one? Is it Disney? Who is it? And so the medication was affecting her. And then she was breathing. And then she said, you let me stop breathing. I said, I'm sorry, I won't let it happen again. <laughs> you can't. You just can't. But when the baby was born, oh, y'all know that moment? The... <laughs> it's one of us. Looks like you. Now it looks like me. Look like you. Look like me. Oh, you're so cute. They did that with Cain and Abel. And meanwhile, she knows that devil that tempted me and deceived me, we got put out the garden, but I got two sons. And God said, my offspring will crush his heel. So she was devastated when Cain killed Abel. She wept, she mourned. That's when you're, you're in turmoil between, but, but God said my offspring would crush his head. Why, why would Cain kill Adam? We blow it. We blow. I want to go back to the garden. I want to go back. And since then, man has been trying to get back to the place. Whether it was the garden or whether it's Abraham getting into the promised land. We all preach about the promised land, Canaan. Do you know things didn't go well when they got in the promised land? It's not the place garden. It's not the promised land Canaan. It's the person who's with you, whether you're in the garden, whether you're in the promised land or out of it. But what God was speaking was that the offspring that would crush the enemy's head wasn't Cain, wasn't Abel, but God was speaking from Adam and Eve to Noah, to Abraham, to David, all the way down to Mary and saying, this is the fulfillment of the word that I spoke even back in the garden, saying, this is the one, the offspring, Eve's offspring through Mary, that would crush the head of the devil, which is what he did on the cross. He took him down. So it's God with us walking in the garden, but he says, I'm going to be with you walking in your own flesh. 
That is good news. And that is why we're celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.